This recording contains graphic details of a violent crime and may be disturbing to some listeners. It is not suitable for children. Clunes Cluedo, a real life who done it. What provokes the violent slaying of a young woman with no known enemies? With no weapon uncovered, how do they believe the brutality was inflicted? How can it be that in a small country town where everyone knows everyone else's business, no one has come forward after three decades? Who wears a mask of disguise, fooling everyone in their midst of their murderous past? Where could the evidence be hiding? And when will justice finally be served on a stone-cold killer? basically from then that's where I got my kind of I guess you could fall, call it fear of the darkness fear of what I couldn't see. Hi I'm Alice and I'm CJ and we're narrating Clunes Cluedo and promoting justice for Nina. Triggering the gold rush way back in the mid-1800s Clunes Victoria has an historic picturesque countryside still humbled by its origins as a mining town. Driving through Clunes you'll see a breathtaking display of its history through its well-maintained and period architecture. These days, you'll find a modern cafe influence, capitalising on the pre-existing beauty of the place, luring in city slickers at any given time for wine and tapas. Newcomers are often blissfully unaware of the town's ugly secret. Clunes has been the backdrop of various headlining productions, including Mad Max, Ned Kelly and Blue Heelers. For an unassuming, sleepy country town, it's sure seen its share of action. For a good 100 years, Clunes made headlines as the vantage point for countless aspiring gold prospectors. Until 1991, of course, when the front page news was no longer about lucky strikes, but about the murder of a young woman and a killer, still to this day, at large. Continued news articles over the past three decades show that the town no longer trusted each other. Shops began closing early, friendships broke down, and the innocence of the youth was decimated as they began fearing what, or who, could be watching and waiting. The actions of a person or persons, and the resulting media coverage, leaving behind a legacy of fear. So, newspaper articles have poured in by the bucket load, since one of the first headlines dropped, In 1991, it said, Nurse Slain. And I think the harshness of that headline really cuts you with the brutality of this killing. It's a headline reserved for the most sadistic of events. It's not a headline that should ever be associated with somebody's daughter, mother, sister, or even human being. Yeah, you really kind of just associate it with some sort of Hollywood movie or something like that. Something detached from... Your own personal reality. Yeah, exactly. And I was thinking, I know you've been through many of the archives and articles related to Nina's murder. How do you think the community of Clunes was impacted by the frosty of their headlines? Well, I can't speak for everyone, but we spoke to one of Nina's friends, Sandy, who actually worked in the newsagent at the time, and she was informed about Nina's death by seeing the headline when she arrived at work. Yeah, she recalled to me how it shook her to the core and couldn't believe what she was seeing. 
Um, given that Nina's friendship circle were also young, I imagine that for Sandy and many of Nina's closest friends, that this would have actually been the first time they'd experienced death firsthand. Yeah. I can't fathom what it must be like not only to go through the grief of losing a friend, but for the circumstances to be so unexpected, not to mention criminal, mm-hmm. but to have it become a media circus too. It's not how grief should be. No, I mean, everything about Nina's death and the aftermath is not natural, and it's not how the course of life should go. It, it would make the processing part of it extremely difficult, and paired with the unsolved aspect, it's a recipe for prolonged trauma. In fact, prolonged trauma is probably how I describe the current state of things in speaking to friends and family in the past months. Yeah, and I think like when the, when someone dies, and especially so young, you just want closure, you want peace, and to be able to celebrate their life and remember them, And and this is just something that is just so unfair that it's happened to someone so young. I mean, when you think of death, you think it should be for someone that's lived a really long life and had opportunities. Exactly. And, you know, died when they were meant to, you know what I mean? And it's just, I just can't get over the fact that she was 22 and there's no answers to any of this. Uh, What were the leading headlines in the beginning? So, well, yeah, what was the paper saying about it all? Well, look, the ones I've got from the first days um, and including the day after, which you can see there in front of you, they really allude to nothing um, in the sense that they have no solid answers or leads just yet, which I'm sure was just as disappointing to the police as it was for the family. So headlines like Hunt for Killer describe how the detectives have set up their around-the-clock information booth, begging for anyone to come forward with any piece of information, no matter how little. They put up posters urging the public to come forward. Uh, One of those is actually visible on our Clunes Cluedo Instagram page. And it's very Wild West almost, strapping a wanted poster to a lamppost. I mean, these days you see social media traction within minutes of a crime and CCTV is very quick to catch people. But the groundwork, and I mean physical groundwork required to communicate with the public and urge them to come forward was immense 30 years ago. Yeah, we were seeing headlines like Detectives Probe for Murder Clues, which actually described how the police had been door knocking the whole town. I mentioned it in our first episode, but there's honestly no one in town who didn't get their doors knocked on in the following days. Everyone seems to remember, kind of like Princess Diana, everyone seems to remember what they were doing when they heard the doorbell. And um, it just shows how hard the police would have worked and just the people of that town Everyone you'd feel would remember that day, just like you were saying with Princess Diana. That's right. Um, As the months drew on, the headlines change, as you'll see in my scrapbook, uh, to things like Clune's residents anxious and afraid, which reaffirms that they still had no motive and had thus far uncovered no reason as to why someone would want to kill Nina. That's it. And when you hear of domestic incidents, for instance, you, as sad as it is, you kind of just rule it out yourself as being at risk. But if there is no motive known, who say it wasn't a random attack and potentially someone is still at risk or a risk? Exactly right. And as I mentioned on each episode through my conversation with people, there is a strong perception that the person is still amongst them, being that it was such a small town and rarely would there be people just driving past or driving through, particularly late at night during a storm. Something we haven't really spoken about is that it was reported that Nina had a violent struggle with the killer who would have wielded a blunt instrument. And reports about the weapon are actually pretty elusive. They don't seem to have 
declared that a weapon was ever found. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or what it was or what they suspect it was yeah. uh, in the months following with our headlines. Although it does say that the kill motive still baffled detectives, they do also say that information was being received by the team which could help solve the murder. It doesn't allude to what that information is. Looking back, we can possibly assume that the information wasn't either enough or relevant because we're still looking at a cold case. I should say that the most recent decades of news articles also state that the police don't believe the perpetrator was either her family, her husband, relatives, friends or workmates. They don't believe it was someone within her inner sanctum, but speculation has been rife that it could be someone close by. And through their years of investigation and suspect tip-off and interviews, it's been reported that they were able to exclude everyone except for one person, someone who they have allegedly interviewed several times since and each time released without a charge. It was actually a 2005 newspaper article that states a Clunes man was interviewed in relation to the killing after a new lead was uncovered, which of course we don't know the context of and didn't really hear much about it after that. But it was reaffirming to see that they were still following up on leads and that, you know, at least 15 years later, 14 years later, new information was still coming in in some format. You know, I find it really interesting that with all these fresh leads, still no one has been arrested. Like, what are your thoughts on on that? I suppose there's a matter of technicalities and the legitimacy of the reports and the leads. The pot would have been being stirred a lot by, as I'll come back to news articles, which began to show that the town no longer trusted each other. I've heard reports of friendships breaking down as a result of everyone's opinions on each other and and flinging mud. There was a headline I've got here, Clunes unease lingers and shops had actually begun closing early, almost right after Nina's death. And one particular sign at the servo, I've seen a photograph of actually says no after hours petrol until the Clunes murderer has been found. So people were scared to do their daily job and provide services because they were terrified they might fall victim too. An article read that one Clunes resident mentioned that the murder is dividing the town. Anyone who is suspected of being a peeping Tom or a prowler is under suspicion. So everyone's looking through squinted eyes at each other. In this same article, the police are quoted as saying that they were worried that some people might feel loath to ring up with information because if it involved a friend or a relative, they might be reluctant to dob them in, I guess you might say. They all say that that no one had been singled out at that point, though. The headline that really sticks with me is also the one we've named this podcast episode after, but it says, Clune's murder has left legacy of fear, which is just as relevant today as it was six months after Nina's murder. It describes that the murder of Nina had shattered the complacency of country life, that not since the filming of Mad Max had they seen such havoc and hell wreaked on the town. It says that the fear injected into the community as a result hadn't disappeared like the headlines since had. We all know, us in particular, (laughs) CJ, we know that small towns come with their unfair share of rumours and sometimes the origins are impossible to determine. Yeah, that's it. And during the course of my own investigations into what happened, I've actually been overwhelmed by the amount of people who believe they know who done it. Um, second, third and fourth hand information that has circulated for decades from what I've 
been able to establish. There was two particularly zany reports that I came across. One is from a 1998 newspaper which followed up on an episode of Australia's Most Wanted. Do you remember that show? Yes, I used to watch it all the time. Yeah, a little bit unsettling, though, to watch usually. (laughs) Um, It talks about a suspicious voicemail left at the Nicholson house before Nina's death and an occupant in a Ballarat house who received strange calls shortly after Nina's death claiming to be the Clunes killer. I don't know that anything came of this article, but you can read it on our Instagram page. I find it quite strange and very singular in regards to the theme of every other article you might read about Nina. There are also, well, there's one particular article published in a banned book, which I won't name, but it's relating to police corruption. Now, the author mentions Nina's name and their personal theory of her death. I don't know where or how the author came to the conclusion that he wrote about Nina in that book. I have to say I don't believe there is any truth in it whatsoever, and I'm not surprised the book is banned. It's just another example of her being utilised for headline and and exploitation, really. There's also some eerie headlines, which when you Google Nina Nicholson, you'll often find these ones. They report the possibility of a peeping Tom and reports that Nina and another woman on the same street had underwear go missing from their washing lines. I have to say that I haven't heard firsthand myself that Nina had underwear go missing, so I'm not sure how the media started that assumption. Perhaps it was as a result of the other woman having the underwear go missing. Perhaps they assumed Nina had two. Yeah, and regarding the underwear theft, Nina isn't around for confirmation about that, but generally speaking, underwear theft is often recorded as a prequel to a more serious crime, isn't it? Yeah, that's mm. what I've read, yeah. Yeah, and like with other podcasts and true crime stories, if they go by, it makes you wonder why the theft occurs. Like, do they keep them as a token or do they steal them to wear as some type of fetish? Like, if Nina's murder is solved, it would be really interesting to see how that fits into her, like, her story. And I could speculate for hours about that one. I guess the thing Nina did report was that she felt someone was watching her. Mm. To get a visual, Nina's home at the time had very typical of the era, scalloped bottom blinds, uh, which you can kind of imagine in any of your grandparents' house, which would allow for someone, very creepishly, but it would allow for someone to spy through the gap if they really wanted to and watch her potentially while she got changed in front of the heater, which was a common occurrence on a cold night while getting ready for a shift. We know that Nina had felt like she was being watched at least a year prior to her murder. So if this was correct and the peeping Tom was the perpetrator or the murderer, that is a long time to prey on her. It, yeah. does, it does make me wonder if the person intended to kill her from the start or whether their intentions changed later on. A year's gap between feeling you're being watched and then being killed, that is a long period of opportunity. That's right. And being in a rural street, there couldn't have been too many people with quick, easy access to her home, like in particular close enough to not be seen by anyone else. So the theory that it was someone who lived close by is like probable, really, in my opinion. I agree. Having to sift through the rumours and red herrings must be an arduous task because even as myself, not a detective, yet through opening myself up as a soundboard for this case, I could tell you at least 10 different stories of what the locals think happened and in great detail. Yet all these stories have amounted to is many likely innocent people feeling like the target of judging eyes on them in their own town. Which is so so unfair as well. 
Exactly. There's many, many people's lives. This has impacted in so many different ways. And I personally, I am of the belief that the person responsible has probably been looked into by police already. I believe they've probably been very clever at making themselves unassuming to the naked eye and Mm -hmm. been very lucky that things haven't aligned into a conviction for them. I do believe someone isn't telling the truth be it the murderer themselves or a rock-solid alibi. It's frustrating to think that after 28 years, basic human morale hasn't cracked them. You would hope that all people were capable of remorse, even many years later, to correct the order of things. That's it. And even if it was just an accident, you know, an accident, it could have been never pl- super unplanned or, you know, never planned on doing it again. It's just surprising that they haven't cracked. Really. That's right. Yeah. There was more of a recent headline I happened upon actually uh, while researching the case, which is actually that a lead detective who worked on Nina's case, uh, this was a good decade ago, actually faced disciplinary action in regards to historical homicide cases where evidence had been bungled or fabricated, leading to non-conviction. Now, I will say straight up there is no evidence whatsoever to suggest that this is relevant to Nina's case specifically at all. However, I guess it just puts a general feeling in my gut of lack of care and consideration, wondering and speculating if internal bungles is what's prevented the conviction of Nina's killer too. We can only hope that if that is the case that the authorities of the present day are doing all they can to repair any gaps and investigate thoroughly using the resources that they have now. Nina's friend Sandy, as mentioned earlier, provided with provided us with some insight into how she feels and and how she feels it's impacted the community since Nina's death. The community walking around knowing that that person is still there, like, that would, that would have to impact the community. It would have to. Um, I can't drive through the town without thinking about it. Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't drive past their house without thinking about it. Um, just something that I, I think about every time and I, I had um, put instead of Queens being this town that you know has the book fair and has all these wonderful things and you know has this I remember going to things like they would have this duck race that would go up the river and, mm-hmm. and all these festival type things instead of me remembering Queens for that sort of stuff I remember it for Nina Probably basically from then, that's where I got my kind of, I guess you could call it fear of the darkness, fear of what I couldn't see. Um, so for me, as a woman, huge impact. I I, um, I get spooked by the dark and what I can't see very easily. Um, mm-hmm. I will, you know, like I have dogs, if they bark, I will. Like, I live in town now, but I have dogs, and if they bark, I go outside. I don't, I close my curtains, and I have friends laugh at me for this, but I close my curtains when it's dark, because when it's dark, people can see, can be outside, and see inside if you've got a light on. I do other security precautions. I get in the car every night time, I lock the doors. I, um, I hear noises, I'm turning around, and I'm probably grumpy. Um, and I don't know if that's just a standard girl thing, but I know from, I, you know, I clearly remember from when I was living at Blowhard, you know, I was scared of what I couldn't see. And um, my boyfriend at the time was a truck driver, so mm. he would leave sometimes early in the morning and sometimes not get back till late at night. And 
I would basically run from the car inside and lock that door. And um, so I guess, yeah, that it's always, it's always been there. Like you don't think that it has impacted you, but when you think back to those stories, it has. When you think back to what you do now, it just has. We're greatly appreciative to Sandy for participating in this podcast. It's been really difficult and really challenging for a lot of Nina's loved ones to give us their insight and as much as they've wanted to contribute. It, it is it is tough. Now, this is a slight digression, which probably breaks all the rules of cognitive thinking and true crime podcasts for that matter. But there was also an intriguing headline I found. Seer gives details of murderer which briefly mentions that a psychic passed on details to the newspaper and the police about some details they believed were of relevance. Now, my background professionally was for some years as a private investigator. We're talking civil investigations, fraud, etc. So I take facts very seriously. I'm a very sceptical person when it comes to psychics and mediums. I do need proof and I thrive off evidence. But here's the thing. Through looking into this case, I have actually sought assistance from a few reputable psychic mediums in relation to Nina's cold case myself. Because let's be honest, when you don't have solid answers or justice after many years, you can start to look for answers in higher places, so to speak. I've also pursued the notes of others close to the case who have also sought information from the other side, if you will. And were you told anything of note? Well... What I found interesting was the common theme among all these readings from countless gifted individuals, so shall we say. So the style of shirt the perpetrator wore has been described by numerous psychics. Their physical appearance has been described fairly consistently and it's been consistently said that more than one person knows what happened and that they are helping cover it up. There have been specific names mentioned too. I won't publicise those details because I don't want to compromise anything. But I honestly found it intriguing how strong the details and how repetitive they were when they came through. Yeah, it really fascinates me and it certainly makes you wonder how these people come up with these things so accurately out of thin air. And I have passed on the information to Crime Stoppers too. I'm not sure how relevant it will be to them, but like we said, it's just these little bits of info we need. However, what we do need to focus on is the facts, things that can be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Thank you for listening to Clunes Cluedo, Digging for Clues in a Goldmine, Episode 3, A Legacy of Fear. There is a strong perception that the person responsible for Nina's death still lives and works in the greater Clunes area and might have a very strong alibi protecting them. It is urged that anyone who knows what happened that night, who can provide an account and the missing puzzle piece to crack this case, come forward. Time is not on the side of Nina's family, who have lived through more than a life sentence of hell, knowing that a killer is on the loose, living the long country life that Nina was robbed of. There is a $1 million reward on offer for information that leads to conviction. There is also leniency offered to the person or persons who come forward, who feel they may have been protecting someone, or themselves, all these years. Crime Stoppers is contactable on 1800 000. Alternatively, you can contact your local police station for support and assistance. If you know something, please say something. 
28 years is a long time to be burdened with such a secret. Now is the right time to set yourself free. What if it was your daughter? <laughs>